0: Chapter 57 Part 1 of The Pharaoh and the Priest This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Read All Day. The Pharaoh and the Priest by boleslaw Prus Translated by Jeremiah Curtin Chapter 57 Part 1 When he left Vaom, the Pharaoh and his retinue advanced southward a number of days up the nile surrounded by a throng of boats greeted by shouts and covered with flowers on both banks of the river on a background of green fields extended an unbroken series of huts of the people groves of fig trees groups of palms every hour appeared the white houses of some village or a larger place with coloured buildings and the immense pylons of temples on the west the wall of the libyan hills was outlined not very distinctly but on the east the Arabian line approached ever nearer to the river. It was possible to see clearly the steep jagged cliffs, dark yellow or rose-colored, recalling by their forms the ruins of fortresses or of temples built by giants. In the middle of the Nile they met islands which had risen from the water as it were yesterday, but were covered with rich vegetation today and were occupied by birds in countless numbers. When the noisy retinue of the pharaoh sailed near, the frightened birds flew up and, circling above the boats, joined their cries with the mighty sound of people. Above this all hung a transparent sky and light so full of life that in the flood of it the black earth assumed a brightness and the stones rainbow colors. Time passed, therefore, pleasantly for the pharaoh. At first the incessant cries irritated him somewhat, but later he grew so accustomed that he turned no attention to them. He was able to read documents take counsel and even sleep from a hundred and fifty to two hundred miles above faim on the left bank of the nile is where rameses the thirteenth took a rest of two days he was even obliged to halt there for the mummy of the late pharaoh was still in abydos where they were making solemn prayers at the grave of osiris so it was one of the richest parts of upper egypt at that place were made the famous vessels of white and black clay and there they wove linen it was also the chief marketplace to which people brought goods from the oasis, scattered throughout the desert. There besides was the famous temple of the jackal-headed god Anubis. On the second day of his stay in that place, the priest Pentor appeared before Ramses. He was the chief of that commission, sent to investigate the condition of the people. "'Has thou news?' inquired the Sovereign. "'I have this, O Holiness, that all the country blesses thee. All with whom I speak are full of hope, and say, His reign will be a new life for Egypt. I wish, replied Ramses, my subjects to be happy. I wish the toiling man to rest. I wish that Egypt might have eight millions of people, as for time, and win back that land seized from it by the desert. I wish the laborer to rest one day in seven, and each man who digs the earth to have some little part of it. Pentuer fell on his face before the kindly sovereign. Rise, said Ramses but I have had hours of grievous sadness. I see the suffering of my people. I wish to raise them, but the treasury is empty, though thyself knowest best that without some tens of thousands of talents I cannot venture on such changes. But now I am at rest. I can get the needed treasure from the labyrinth. Pentel looked at his sovereign with amazement. The overseer of the treasure explained to me what I am to do, said the pharaoh. I must call a general council of all orders, thirteen of each order, And if they declare that Egypt is in need, the labyrinth will furnish me with treasure. O gods, added he, for a couple, for one of the jewels which lie there, it will be possible to give the people fifty rest days in a year. Never will they be used to better purpose. Pentor shook his head. Lord, said he, the six million Egyptians, with me and my friends before others, will agree that thou take from that treasure. But, O holiness, be not deceived." One hundred of the highest dignitaries of the state will oppose, and then the labyrinth will give nothing. They wish me then to beg before some temple, burst out the pharaoh. No, replied the priest. They fear lest that treasure house be emptied once thou touch it. They will suspect thy most faithful servants, holiness, of sharing in the profits flowing from the labyrinth, and then envy will whisper to each of them. Why shouldst thou not take profit also? Not hatred of thee, holiness. But mutual distrust, greed, will urge them to resistance. When he heard this, the pharaoh was calm. He smiled even. If it be as thou sayest, be at rest, beloved Pentor. At this moment, I understand exactly why Amon established the authority of the pharaoh and gave him superhuman power. For the purpose, seest thou, that a hundred, even of the most distinguished rascals, should not wreck the state. Ramses rose from his armchair and added, Say to my people. Work and be patient. Say to the priests who are loyal, Serve the gods and cultivate wisdom, which is the son of the universe. But those stubborn and suspicious dignitaries leave to my management. Woe to them if they anger me. Lord, said the priest, I am thy faithful servant. But when he had taken farewell and gone out, care was evident on his face. About 75 miles from Suwet, higher up the Nile, the wild Arabian rocks almost touched the river but the Libyan hills have pushed away so far from it that the valley at that point is perhaps the widest part of Egypt. Just there, side by side, stood Tanis and Abydos, two holy cities. There was born the first Egyptian pharaoh, Menes. There, a hundred thousand years before, were laid in the grave the holy relics of the goddess Osiris, slain by Set, his brother Typhon, treacherously. There, finally, in memory of those great events, the famous pharaoh Seti, built a temple to which pilgrims came from every part of Egypt. Each believer was bound even once during life to bring his forehead to the blessed earth of Abydos. Truly happy was he whose mummy could make a journey to that place and halt even at a distance from the temple. The mummy of Ramses Twelfth spent two days there, for he had been a ruler noted for devotion. There is nothing wonderful in this, therefore, that Ramses Thirteenth began his reign by rendering homage to the grave of Osiris. Seti's temple was not among the oldest or most splendid in Egypt, but it was distinguished for pure Egyptian style. His Holiness, Ramsay Thirteenth, accompanied by Sem, the high priest, visited the temple and made offerings in it. The ground belonging to the edifice occupied a space of 75 hectares, on which were fish ponds, flower beds, orchids, and vegetable gardens, Besides the houses, or rather villas, of the temple priesthood, everywhere grew poplars and acacias, as well as palm, fig, and orange trees, which formed alleys directed toward the cardinal points of the world, or groups of trees of almost the same height, and set out in order. Under the watchful eyes of priests, even the plant world did not develop according to its own impulses into irregular but picturesque groups. It was arranged in straight lines according to direction or straight lines according to height, or in geometrical figures. Palms, tamarinds, cypresses, and myrtles were arranged like warriors in ranks or columns. The grass was a divine, shorn and ornamented with pictures made of flowers, not of any chance colour, but of that colour which was demanded. People looking from above saw pictures of gods or sacred beasts blooming on the turf near the temple. A sage found their aphorisms written out in hieroglyphs. The central part of the gardens occupied a rectangular space, 900 yards long and 300 wide. This space was enclosed by a wall of no great height, which had one visible gate and a number of secret entrances. Through the gate, pious people entered the space, which surrounded the dwelling of Osiris. This space was covered with a stone pavement. In the middle of the space stood the temple, a rectangular pile, 450 yards long and in width 150. From the public gate to the temple was an avenue of sphinxes with human heads and lion bodies. They were in two lines, ten in each, and were gazing into each other's eyes. Only the highest dignitaries might pass between these sphinxes. At the head of this avenue, and opposite the public gate, rose two obelisks, or slender and lofty granite columns, of four sides, on which was inscribed the history of the pharaoh's city. Beyond the obelisks rose the gate of the temple having at both sides of it gigantic piles in the form of truncated pyramids called pylons. These were like two strong towers on the walls of which were paintings representing the visits of Seti or the offerings which he made to divinities. Earth tillers were not permitted to pass this gate, which was free only to wealthy citizens and the privileged classes. Through it was the entrance to the peristyle or court, surrounded by a corridor which had a multitude of columns. From this court, where there was room for 10,000 people, persons of the noble order, might go still farther to the first hall, the Hippostyle. This had a ceiling which rested on two rows of lofty columns, and there was space in it for 2,000 worshippers. This hall was the last to which laypeople were admitted. The highest dignitaries who had not received ordination had the right to pray there, and look-fence at the veiled image of the god which rose in the hall of divine apparition. Beyond the hall of divine apparition was the chamber of tables of offering, where priests placed before the gods gifts brought by the faithful. Next was the chamber of repose, where the god rested when returning from or going to a procession. And last was the chapel or sanctuary, where the god had his residence. Usually the chapel was very small, dark, sometimes cut out of one block of stone. It was surrounded on all sides by chapels equally small, filled with garments, furniture, vessels and jewels of the god, which in its inaccessible seclusion slept, bathed, was anointed with perfumes, ate, drank, and, as it seems, even received visits from young and beautiful women. This sanctuary was entered only by the high priest and the ruling pharaoh if he had received ordination. If an ordinary mortal entered, he might lose his life there. The walls and columns of each hall were covered with inscriptions and explanatory paintings. In the corridor surrounding the peristyle were the names and portraits of all the pharaohs from menes, the first ruler of Egypt, to Ramses the twelfth in the hippostyle or hall for nobles the geography and statistics of Egypt were presented pictorially, also the subject nations in the hall of apparition were the calendar and the results of astronomical observation in the chamber of tables of offering and in that of repose figured pictures relating to religious ceremonial, and in the sanctuary rules for summoning beings beyond the earth and controlling the phenomena of nature. This last kind of knowledge was contained in statements so involved that even priests in the time of Ramses Twelfth did not understand them. Chaldean Beros was to revive this expiring wisdom. Ramses Thirteenth, after he had rested two days in the official palace at Abydos, betook himself to the temple. He wore a white tunic, a gold breastplate, an apron with orange and blue stripes, A steel sword at his side, and on his head a golden helmet. The pharaoh sat in a chariot, drawn by horses, adorned with ostrich plumes, and was conducted by nomarchs, as he moved slowly toward the house of Osiris, surrounded by his officers. Whithersoever he looked, toward the field, the river, the roofs of houses, or even the limbs of tamarind and fig trees, there was a throng of people, and an unceasing shout, which was like the roar of a tempest when he arrived at the temple the pharaoh stopped his horses and descended before the public gate this act pleased the common people and delighted the priesthood he passed on foot along the avenue of sphinxes and greeted by the holy men burned incense before the statues of seti which occupied both sides of the main entrance in the peristyle the high priest turned the attention of his holiness to the splendid portraits of the pharaohs and pointed out the place selected for that of rameses In the Hippostyle, he indicated to him the meaning of the geographical maps and statistical tables. In the Chamber of Divine Apparition, Ramses offered incense to the gigantic statue of Osiris, and the High Priest showed him the columns dedicated to the separate planets, Mercury, Venus, the Moon, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. The planets stood around statues of the Sun-God to the number of seven. Thou hast told me, said Ramses, that there are six planets. Meanwhile. I see seven columns. The seventh represents the earth, which is also a planet. The astonished pharaoh asked for explanation, but the sage was silent, indicating by signs that his lips were sealed on that subject. In the chamber of the tables of offering was heard low but beautiful music, during which a solemn dance was given by a chorus of priestesses. The pharaoh removed his golden helmet, next his breastplate of great value, and gave both to Osiris desiring that these gifts should remain in the treasury of the god and not be transferred to the labyrinth. In return for his bounty, the high priest bestowed on the sovereign a most beautiful dancer, fifteen years of age, who seemed greatly delighted with her fortune. When the pharaoh found himself in the hall of repose, he sat on the throne and he substituting religion, Sem, to the sound of music and amid the smoke of censers, entered the sanctuary to bring forth the divinity. Half an hour later, to the deafening sound of bells, appeared in the gloom of the chamber a golden boat hidden by curtains, which moved at times as if some living being were sitting behind them. The priests prostrated themselves, and Ramses looked intently at the transparent curtains. One of these was turned aside, and the pharaoh saw a child of rare beauty, which looked at him with such wise eyes that the ruler of Egypt was almost afraid of it. This is Horus, whispered the priest, Horus the rising sun. He is the son of Osiris, and also his father, and the husband of his own mother, who is his sister. The procession began, but only through the interior of the temple, in advance went harpers and female dancers, next a white bull with a golden shield between his horns. Then two choruses of priests, and high priests bearing the god, then choruses, and finally the pharaoh, in a litter borne by eight priests of the temple. When the procession had passed through all the corridors, and halls of the temple, and the god and Ramses had returned to the chamber of repose, the curtain concealing the sacred boat, slipped apart, and the beautiful child smiled at the pharaoh. After that, Sem bore away the boat, and the god to the chapel. One might become a high priest, said the pharaoh, who was so pleased with the child, that he would have been glad to see it, as often as possible. But when he had gone forth from the temple, and seen the sun, and the throng of delighted people, he confessed in his soul, that he understood nothing he knew not whence they had brought that child unlike any other child of egypt whence that superhuman wisdom in its eyes nor what the meaning was of all that he himself had seen suddenly he remembered his murdered son who might have been as beautiful and the ruler of egypt wept in presence of a hundred thousand subjects converted the pharaoh is converted said the priests barely has he entered the dwelling of osiris and his heart is touched that same day one blind man and two paralytics who were praying outside the walls of the temple recovered Health. the council of priests decided therefore to reckon that day in the list of those which were miraculous and to paint a picture on the external wall of the edifice representing the weeping pharaoh and the cured people rameses returned rather late in the afternoon to his palace to hear reports when all the dignitaries had left the cabinet tutmosis came in and said "Holiness." The priest Sementu wishes to pay thee homage. Well, let him come. He implores thee, Lord, to receive him in a tent in the military camp. He asserts that the walls of the palace are fond of listening. Before sunset, the pharaoh went with Tutmosis to his faithful troops, and found among them the royal tent at which Asiatics were on guard by command of Tutmosis. In the evening came Sementu, dressed in the garb of a pilgrim, and when he had greeted his holiness with honor, he whispered, it seems to me that i was followed the whole way by some man who i stopped not far from this tent o holiness perhaps he was sent by the high priests at the pharaoh's command tutmosis ran out and found in fact a strange officer who art thou asked he i am eunanna a centurion in the regiment of isis the unfortunate eunanna dost thou not remember me worthiness more than a year ago at the manoeuvres near pubalus i discovered the sacred scarabs ah that is thou interrupted Tutmosis, but thy regiment is not in Abydos the water of truth flows from thy lips we are quartered at wretched place near Mena where the priests have commanded us to clear a canal as if we were Hebrews or earth diggers. How hast thou appeared here? I implored my superiors for a rest of some days and like a deer thirsting for a spring, I thanks to the swiftness of my feet have hurried hither. What dost thou wish then I wish to beg favour of his Holiness against the shaven heads who give me no promotion because i am sensitive to the sufferings of warriors tutmosis returned to the tent ill-humoured and repeated the conversation to the pharaoh you nana? repeated the sovereign yes i remember him he caused us trouble with his beetles but got fifty blows of a stick through herhor and thou sayest that he complains of the priests bring him hither the pharaoh told to to go into the second division of the tent End of chapter 57, part 1.